Welcome to USC Junior Week on the Savage Pads Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Battle. And on this week's episode, former UGA team captain Brandon Cablano joins us to break down UGA's offensive line play this year under Sam Pittman, the strength staff that has quietly transformed UGA football, and UGA's claim to not just running back you, but also center you. Then deadpan humor specialist Corey Amick returns to roast Auburn in the fashion in which they lost to Georgia rival Florida on Saturday. In the show's final segment, expert fanalist Caleb Gwynn gives his take on Georgia's performance against Tennessee and makes a few predictions for a big week coming up in college football, including a matchup between the Georgia Bulldogs and the South Carolina Gamecocks. We've got a great show coming up. Stay tuned. practice every day man oh man mono ain't mono he, he definitely six hour reminds me and myself as close as we uh, have right now to rope on when we scored i honestly did not know where i was for about five seconds early on you could see with jake you know just like with fran talking to maybe one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in the country and we got to keep feeding the running back i don't think we've yet to see the tight ends. I think Georgia does a great job bringing pressure on third down. Turn around two weeks later in the SEC championship, we look like a completely different team and we made them look like a completely different team. I mean, it's hard to get emotional thinking about it. And it was my job to kind of get outside the corner and uh, as soon as I let it go, I knew it was good. From that point on, I kind of began the trust of Eric Murray as my quarterback. The team was just special. I was famous. He was onside. Everybody respects the specs. That's what every Georgia fan should hinge their hopes on. Alabama and Georgia are the best two teams in the country. I feel like we are the true running back team. I have great confidence that we're going to see the personification of Georgia football. Welcome to the Savage Pads podcast. 2016-2017 team captain Brandon Cablano is with us. Brandon, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. I want to just dive right into offensive line play you were a part of Sam Pittman's offensive line unit a few years back. What are your thoughts on the OL's play in recent tests against Notre Dame and Tennessee? Yeah, I mean, I think they've uh, they've held up pretty well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've got a ton of depth, and they've had a couple injuries here and there. But, um, you know, I think they've been pretty outstanding this season. They just need to keep rolling, stay focused, and stay healthy. That's probably the biggest thing for them. Yeah, it, it has been kind of a different situation having guys like Solomon Kinley go down and there not be too much of a drop-off. I mean, that unit as a whole has only given up one sack so far this season. But one thing fans have been frustrated with is the short yardage failures early in the season. There's a feeling that if we have such a great line, why can't we move the ball one yard at will whenever we want to? As someone better informed than the average armchair quarterback, what do you attribute Georgia's recent short yardage struggles to? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, some of that comes with execution and some uh-huh. of that comes with a whole different sort of set of things. But, um, you know, it's always tough when you get into those situations where you're fourth and one or you're real short and, um, you know, they, you know, there's only so many things you can do, but... You know, I'm sure those guys have know that that's a problem and that's stuff that the coaching staff would typically point out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's definitely one of the things they work on. But, sure. um, you know, let's, let's kind of guess with the flow of the season as well. Being in the beginning of the season, you 
are still working kinks out, but um, now they'll they'll be into the middle tranche of the season, so they'll definitely be. I would expect them to be rolling on those kinds of things sure. uh, moving forward. I'm sure they'll they'll get it fixed and they'll be fine. Sure, and one guy who's you know we're hoping to see improve in those situations is sophomore center and first year starter Trey Hill. This year, Trey's taken over an important position in the Georgia offense that has been manned by guys like David Andrews, yourself, and, and Lamont Gelliard in recent years. How do you feel Trey Hill has performed in his first season at starter in your old position? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been watching him. I think he's done incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Uh, very impressive, very impressive young man. Um, you know, there's a history of great centers from, you know, you know we've had great centers from starting from Ben, Jones and then right. David and then me and Lamont, you know, I think that's a, always been a position that's been very solid for Georgia. Um, so it's fun to watch a young guy like him step in and be able to take that role. And I'm sure Lamont taught him well last year as I taught Lamont and David taught me and Ben taught David. Um, you know, I think it's kind of just passed down. So I'm sure he's out there commanding, but it's, it's been very impressive to watch him and, it's exciting to know someone that like him is going to be able to man that position in Georgia for the next few years. And I'm sure when the time comes, he'll be able to teach the next young guy that'll jump in and it'll be the next guy for the next three years. Right. And there certainly seems to be a pipeline, uh, much, much like at running back at Georgia and Patriot center, David Andrews recently made the claim that Georgia is not only running back you, but also center you. Do you feel like Georgia has a legitimate claim to this title? Yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, Ben's still in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, David's still in the league. Unfortunately, I'm no longer in it, but Just wasn't politics. it. And Lamont, Lamont's still in the league. So, yeah. you know, I, you know, it, it's been, we, we've had a pretty dang good shot and, you know, even even the, to that, you know, Ben was a All American, All SEC. David All SEC. I was All SEC. Lamont was All SEC, and I'm sure Trey and his near future will be All SEC, All American. Mm-hmm. Well, um, while center was the position you played at the end of your career at Georgia and during your time in the NFL, you actually made the switch from guard, just like Trey Hill has. Can you tell us what that transition was like for you and what challenges it presents to someone who's played in another spot on the line for the majority of their career? Right. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously the biggest challenge is snapping the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's it, it's probably the hardest position in football. I mean, you're, you know, you're going two different directions at the same exact time. Mm-hmm. Um, while having someone that weighs th- probably 300 pounds sitting on top of you. <laughs> right. Um, so it is, uh, it's definitely a, a tough transition, but it's good if you were able to learn guard first and you kind of know the communication between the tackle and the guard, how that goes. And then when you get to center, you, you know, there's a different communication that goes on between those guys. So sure. it's good to kind of have that feel of everyone on the line, but you know, I think, probably good for him he's able to he's already played one position you know that'll only make his stock better as he continues to grow and be more versatile sure and uh you know he he's going to be developing under a great offensive line coach and sam Pittman. coach Pittman's a fan favorite among dog fans and he seems to be a favorite among his players as well can you tell our listeners what made coach Pittman so special to you all 
Yeah, I mean, Coach, I mean, he's, he's probably the best coach. He is the best coach in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he cares deeply for his players. He, you know, loves all his guys, but he'll coach you hard. Um, you know, he, he truly cares and truly wants you to be successful. Um, you know, Coach just has a way about him, and, you know, he's, you know, he, you're kind of like his child, and, you know, it's, it's, people really respect the heck out of him, and he works hard, and, you know, he's a guy that you want to go in there every day and you want to play for. Mm-hmm. He's seen great improvements in his lines since you were there, and he's, he's been big on getting the biggest guys possible on his team and has had success doing so. But when he arrived in Georgia in 2016, he he had to add some beef to the linemen he inherited, including yourself. What changed from a nutritional and conditioning standpoint when Coach Smart and Coach Pittman arrived in Athens? Um, yeah, I mean, it's more of a that's probably more on the strength nutrition staff. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we got a new um, strength staff as soon as Coach Smart came in and Coach Sinclair and that team and right. Um, you know, they were definitely the best strength staff I had there. Um, saw massive improvements and, um, than I ever, you know, especially being going into my senior year, it's pretty rare. You normally you see your biggest improvements freshman to sophomore year. But, um, you know, Coach Sinclair has those guys right. And he's probably also is probably the best strength coach in America. And, you know, you kind of tell you see those guys out there, they're big or strong, they're without a doubt in shape and ready to go. Yeah, and, and they've been able to maintain their speed. Um, you see guys like Nick Chubb tearing it up in the NFL, clocking some of the fastest times, but also growing as an athlete with their strength and conditioning under that staff. Now, under that staff, you were you were listed at 300 pounds going into the NFL, but I actually saw you at a Georgia mm-hmm. game. I don't know if it was a spring game since your retirement from football, and I was like, yeah. hey, that guy looks like a slim, a really slim, you know, Brandon Poblano. <laughs> and later they announced you on the Jumbotron. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it, it really is a slim, <laughs> slim Brandon Poblano. <laughs> how are you able to pull a Matt Stinchcomb, which shout out to our former guest, Matt. But how are you able to pull a Matt Stinchcomb and, and transform your body upon football retirement? Yeah, um, you know, I felt like you really either go one way or the other right. when you're alignment and you finish up. So, uh, definitely didn't want to go the other way. Yeah. So, um, no, I mean, it's, uh, you know, just disciplined and I still work out every day and still grind and, uh, still up every morning, 5 a.m. And I'm rolling, working out in the gym. And, um, it's also a little different when you don't have all the food accessible like you did in Georgia. Right. Uh, and you start paying for it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. That, uh, for me has has been a factor i feel like i have to try to (laughs) stay at my same weight that i was in being on meal plan as a just a normal student but last question for you brandon as someone who played for coach Pittman and someone who loves coach Pittman, can you give dog fans your best impression of sam Pittman when the dogs lock down another five-star offensive lineman oh it's definitely gonna be a Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was pretty good. That, uh, I'm sure I'm sure other people do it better, but yeah, man, no one can do it as good. No one can do it as good as coach. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've never had uh, someone <laughs> do that on the show before, but I think I might start doing that with with all the former. Yeah, that should be. Every time you, uh, yeah, anytime you get something good, that's what it should be. Yeah. I, mean, dude, I heard them play it in the stadium. That was 
awesome. Do they do that? I miss that. Yeah. Wow. I did it in Notre Dame. I think they did it in Notre Dame. Okay. Yeah, I miss. I was there, but uh, I was just so caught up in in everything else. Yeah. I guess. But well, uh, that that was that was that was pretty good, Brandon. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. We really appreciate you taking a moment of your time to join us. Thank you mm-hmm. again, and go dogs. Yeah, go dogs. Bye. I'll be a dog till I die. Yeah. And now it's time for this week's Savage Pads Savagery segment in which deadpan college football analyst Corey Amick will join us to break down Auburn. Corey, what's up, man? Hey, Dad. Good to be back on the show. Dude, it's great to have you. I, uh, I've been looking forward to this one because Auburn looked like the best team in the country against Mississippi State a week ago, and then... They fell in the swamp to a Florida team that has improved drastically in recent weeks since their ugly early season wins over Miami and Kentucky. And it's not the fact that Auburn lost to Florida that makes them the subject of this week's segment, Corey. It's the fashion in which they did so. Auburn's offense had more three and outs than its quarterback had completions in this game. Corey, what did Auburn's offense on Saturday most closely resemble, in your opinion? In short, I'd say Tennessee. You know, looking at mm. just the offense and what they what they put out on the field, but it really made me think of uh, last year's Cheez It Bowl. So if you remember, I think it was Cal and TCU, and there were seven interceptions thrown um, throughout the game between the two teams. So right. you know, Bo Nix threw three interceptions in this game, and I think Florida only threw one, but had the three fumbles. So you know, a yeah. total of I think it was eight turnovers, something like that, which is just you know, unholy. Um, but you, you know, Gus. Everyone sees Gus Malzahn as this big offensive wizard. Um, but I think it, you know he can only rely on jet sweeps for so long when he's playing in a conference like this with the speed you know most SEC defenses have. Also, uh, Doug, did you know that Auburn has one of the fastest players in the NCAA? Yeah, and Anthony did you know that he, Yeah, and he and he ran track. Um, yes, and that he's really fast. I think. Uh, it's kind of that the the way that announcers talk about Anthony Schwartz reminds me of how Brent Musburger loved to talk about like every player's girlfriend back yes. in, when him and Kirk Herbstreit did primetime. Yes. So yes. you know, just in case anyone needs to know, Anthony Schwartz is fast and he did run track. Yes. And I think he does still run track. Yes. So. Also, fun fact that they love to bring up is that Bo Nix attended the 2010 national championship game when Cam Newton. Uh, was at Auburn and, and won them a national championship. Um, they they love to mention that as if it is somehow a sign from God uh, concerning Bo Nix and championships and Auburn football. So thought I would throw that out there since you mentioned it. But while, while that offensive performance with with Bo Nix and uh, Gus Malzahn's offense was was bad enough to have a large proportion of the fan base ready to jump off the Gus bus. The vaunted Auburn front seven lived up to their reputation for the majority of this one, most notably causing two Derrick Brown scoop and runs. For a hot second, Derrick Brown looked more like Derrick Henry toting the rock across the field. I mean, big man was moving. But when he made it to the Florida 35, it all went south. I mean that quite literally, by the way. Corey, what do you think caused Big Derrick Brown to fall short of the end zone? Well, first off, shout out Derek Brown. You know, feed feed the big Baller. man the ball. I Baller. think you gotta you gotta give a guy like that a chance on offense. Yes, um, the fridge. But yeah, exactly. I do. Uh, I do think that the only thing that really tripped him up was the fact that Auburn's sponsored by Under Armour. So oh. 
last year, Under Armour, uh, when the Me Too movement was was going around, Under Armour made the decision to stop allowing their employees to charge strip club strip club visits to their company cards. Uh, so I don't think that the employees have had that same, uh, I don't know, passion and effort as you would say they had say last year. Sure, um, especially with on the Auburn football they've been putting out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you look at look at Cam Newton. Under Armour guy, laptop guy. Clearly, Under Armour's and you know how his NFL season's going right now with the injury and how he's performed. So, like, clearly, Under Armour's not able to create products for people that weigh, let's say, more than 240 pounds. Okay. So, I don't think it's a surprise that Derek Brown's cleats failed him out uh, after moving that far and that fast down the field. So, you know, it's a shame. I think if they, if they maybe upgraded to Russell, um, they would have a better, you know better quality cleat and, and gear out there. Maybe Derek Brown takes that all the way. But, you know, it is sad to see a guy like him inhibited and, you know, RIP Cam Newton and the Panthers this season. Yes. Yes, I um, I understand your theory on Under Armour being the reason he fell. My theory is actually a little different. I think that Derek Brown was having a heyday on the stat sheet. Uh, lots of forced fumbles, scooped fumbles, all the rest. I think he wanted an extra tackle on that stat sheet. And so he tackled himself while he was running the ball. Um, and, and that's going to add to his Heisman-like campaign as a defensive lineman, one more tackle on the stat sheet. Because no one looks at touchdowns for defensive linemen. Uh, you, you look for tackles and forced fumbles. And so I think it was a um, pretty smart business move by Brown to take himself out there. And, uh, Would it also be a, a tackle for loss since technically he was behind the line of scrimmage for Florida? Yes, it was a loss in multiple ways, both in that it was a behind the line of scrimmage for Florida, um, but it was also a loss of opportunity cost kind of yards for Auburn that he could have. So, yes, it was like a, um, a tackle for loss squared. Nice. But Derek Brown wasn't the only player who seemed to tackle himself on Saturday. Corey, I don't know if you saw this, but preseason Heisman candidate According to Auburn fans, Bo Nix added a self-tackle after a negative 22-yard rush to his impressive list of feats that also includes, like I said before, attending the 2010 National Championship game and being named after the second-best running back from the Herschel Walker era. Now, Gary Danielson compared Bo Nix to Tim Tebow on Saturday, and I could not agree more with the comparison. Both players are outspoken Christians. Both players are white guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's it. That there's literally nothing else remotely similar about the two players. Corey, with Bo Nix being t- Tim Tebow 2.0, what attributes have you seen from him that would translate well to minor league baseball? Well, first off, I hope that Gary hears this when I say it, but Gary is nothing without Vern. I think CBS is dead with the fact that when Vern retired, Gary was clearly carried by Vern before, and I think. The Bullfrog himself is the only reason that that Gary still has that gig with CBS. So it is a shame that Gary's out there just throwing things around, miscalling, you know, turnovers, touchdowns, anything possible. I'm surprised he hasn't called another sports like phrase yet while Mm -hmm. watching a football game. But that is what it is. Um, So, yeah, you know, Bo Nix, Tim Tebow, like you said, Christian, check, white, check. Uh, upon some further research, they both played baseball in high school. There we go. So, you know, him and Tim clearly have the experience required to compete at a minor league level because they have played the sport. 
Um, He was also a member of the National Honor Society, which means he would thrive in a a pay-to-play minor league system that needs funding. So it's like Auburn fans pay enough to to see him play for a minor league team, kind of like how Tim Tebow gets to play. You know, good for the team, good for the the program. Um, Here's my tip for for Bo to really complete this, you know, mirror image of him and Tim Tebow. Yes. I would say he needs to create some sort of brand. So whether it's like a t-shirt or a hat that he wears in all of his post-game press conferences, um, that way he can be just like Tim and self-promoting his own brand. And then like 10 years later, advocate against why players shouldn't be paid. uh, Even though, even though he was supporting his own brand. So, right. yeah, I think that would definitely put them in the same category. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing him come up with an iconic pose like Tebowing when Tebow was, was with the Broncos, and that was a kind of – it kind of became a, a football meme, um, Tebowing. But I would love to see just bowing, you know, like like the yeah. jet, but but bow nicks ing um, a verb form of him. So I don't know what that looks like, um, but but it's something to keep an eye on as, yes, like Gary pointed out, he's the spitting image of Tim Tebow. Or it could be it could be not that bow, and it's just a picture of Bo Jackson and with an X over his face. So everyone knows that he's not that bow. Yeah, not the really good one. Um, yeah, but as it pertains to Bo Nix, uh, first off, all jokes aside, I've been legitimately impressed by everything I've heard about him uh, from a few inside sources over there. He's, according to multiple people that I know, he's legitimately a high-caliber kid. Uh, he's got the determination and work ethic to be great, and he has a great football mind as the son of a former quarterback and a current coach. Yeah. And I never have, and I hope I never will have anything against Bo Nix personally. With that said, I did not think at the time and still do not think that Auburn is the place where he was most likely to have success. I absolutely understand why he would choose to go to his father's alma mater, the school that he grew up pulling for. But I also think he subjected himself to unrealistic expectations under a coaching staff that has had no success developing talented high school players at the quarterback position. They have had success with a few transfer guys, um, particularly guys that get kicked out of other schools. But there is a long list of high school four and five stars who have come into Auburn with NFL projections and left Auburn without having even had success at the college level. Corey, why is it do you think that Auburn has only been able to have success with transfer quarterbacks? Oh, man. I think it's because a lot of these guys that either go JUCO or start another D1 program and then end up coming to Auburn, if they get to Auburn and they have previous experience somewhere else, they understand the game of football and that the offense has more than just like two run plays, one of them being a jet sweep and the other being a, a quick dive up the middle and so i think when they transfer in they're like hey coach coach gus we actually know a few more plays and he's like oh great and then they have success but i think when they are recruited in by him he feeds them the okay if we don't if we pick up five yards we're gonna run the same exact play again and again and again and i think a lot of the guys get to their junior or senior year and realize man i've been running the same three or four plays for the last three years yeah Um, right and i think that that hurts them big time. So, yeah, I don't know. I think as long as they talk to somebody else, you know, whether it's a 
a, a wise grandparent or even a, another coach, I think they'll be set up for success. But it is tough when your only real mentor in the game of football is Gus Malzahn. Yeah, he's like, it's like the Midas touch, but everything he touches turns to crap. <laughs> um, and, and that's been the case with Auburn quarterbacks um, that, that have been highly touted coming out of high school. Again, nothing against Bo Nix uh, from, from everything I've heard. You know, great things about him. I just yeah. uh, I, I am highly critical of the coaching staff over there and, and the kind of position they've, they've put him in and the expectations they've set for him. Last question for you, Corey. As I mentioned earlier, it was not the loss that was embarrassing for Auburn, but rather the fashion in which they lost. Of course, those two self-tackles come to mind. Um, throwing an interception with only uh, like 10 players on the field on defense is certainly an embarrassing way to lose a game. But nothing could be worse than watching a player who you told was too slow to play for your team outrun your entire secondary to seal a game you should have won. And not to mention in a game where you yourself struggled to run the football. Corey, if Gus Malzahn could go back, do you think he would offer LaMichael Perrine a committable scholarship and if he had how do you see that game ending on saturday so let's say gus goes back and offers p is it p ryan or perrine i always forget oh that's p ryan i said it wrong you're fine just out of disrespect for florida (laughs) exactly uh so you know michael p ryan clearly doesn't have the speed that anthony schwartz has so what's the point i mean yes have you seen seen how fast anthony schwartz is and did you know didn't he run track in high school i'm pretty sure he ran track and he probably still does he's like olympic he's probably still running right now so you think right you know michael p ryan would have no shot at not getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage every second down like anthony schwartz does on a sweep to the outside so jet sweep yeah you know i don't know if gus does do it who knows what happens i think you know Regardless of whether he gets the Michael P. Ryan or not, maybe uh, Kyle Trask channels that inner Steve Spurrier wearing that that number 11 in the throwback Florida jersey and puts his visor on backwards and runs downhill for like a 60-yard Tim Tebow-like touchdown to, to seal the game. Yes. So I think regardless, Auburn still catches the, uh, the L, but I'm glad that it was kind of a, a sweet ending for Michael P. Ryan to, to kind of rub that in Gus's face. Yeah, absolutely. That that had to be one of the most satisfying sports moments for Florida in recent memory. The one thing that comes close is last year's moral victory over Georgia, um, where they had one goal line stand and proceeded to lose by multiple touchdowns. But Corey, as always, we appreciate your snark, um, and and we look forward to watching a full weekend of, of good games, looking for opportunities to just tear teams apart this weekend. Definitely, you know, fingers Probably. fingers crossed. Felipe Franks somehow finds his way back onto the field because I think everyone except for Florida fans is, is rooting for that. Um, yes. And yeah, look out for Anthony Schwartz on the track this week. Yeah, he's uh, he he runs track. Yeah, and he's fast. He's also very fast, and I think it's like something having to do with like Olympic speed and. Um, it, the thing about it is, though, it doesn't matter when you're running sideways because that's what they do with him. They give it to him going sideways, and uh, he runs really fast. And they're like, they probably clock him, and they're like, whoa! Like he just like broke a record for how fast you can run sideways and lose um, two yards. So I that, think that's if, kind of if there was an absolute an absolute value uh, stat in football, 
that no matter how fast you run sideways, you still are going zero miles an hour when you measure yards. Yeah, that's that's crazy to think about. That's mind blowing. Well, Corey, on that note, I am going to um, move on to our next segment. But again, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Doug. See ya. Go dogs. Bye. Go dogs. All right, and now it is time for the good, the bad, and the ugly with Caleb Gwynn. Caleb, what's up? How's it going? Big week coming up. Big week. We just had a big week, and I'm excited to uh, get this season rolling. Yeah, I'm always excited. I went to the game, by the way. I ended up making it, and um, we didn't check our nail in as successfully as we had hoped, but it was still a good showing of dog fans, and I would say by the end of the game, it was 90% Georgia fans. Um, only at the end of the game, of course. But I felt like the whole game had, I mean, had everything. There were moments where we looked like we can beat any team in the country, as well as moments where it looked like we could lose to Georgia State. Caleb, I want to mix it up. Let's run through the good, bad, and ugly for each facet of the game, starting with the offense. Offensively, what did you see that was good on Saturday? Um, Well, we really started to kick it in there in the the second half Mm -hmm. um, consistently I mean we should have um, been rolling the whole game it seems like the first quarter um, was a little iffy but I mean really the whole offense started clicking there's still some uh, iffy stuff going on with the play calling and stuff like that but again Jake Fromm um, just very consistent probably the most consistent quarterback in the country it seems like yeah Um, so yeah I just go with quarterback play Um, just he's a guarantee he's going to do really well yeah, I got a stat line here for Jake Fromm, 24 of 29 for 288 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. I said this last year towards the end of the season, right before the SEC championship game, and I feel like he's, he's upped his game since then. I really think Jake Fromm is playing the best football of his career right now, and I really hope he can continue playing at this level going into a stretch of some crucial SEC East games including Florida, which we will get to, um, and, and then going into, hopefully, SEC Championship in, in the college football playoff. Other good things I saw were Zamir White looking more and more like he's ready to contribute against anybody. Um, seven carries, 57 yards. That's over eight yards a carry. Brian Herrian also had over eight yards per carry, including my favorite run of the game. Georgia had no turnovers. That's something we can't take for granted on the offensive side of the ball, especially against a Jeremy Pruitt defense. Those defenses tend to be aggressive. Let's talk about the bad for a moment, um, and and then we'll get into the ugly, Caleb. What what was bad on offense? Um, I kind of mentioned it earlier. It seems like play calling is just uh, conservative at best. Um, We kind of we kind of talked about the James Coley running the offense and just how it would be. Um, I guess it's more just wishing it was more explosive um, yeah. constantly. Like you look at Alabama and you're just like, wow, we can put up numbers like that, but we don't really have to. Um, I still feel like we're, there's an element of holding back. Yeah. Georgia is the more talented team nine times out of 10. I mean, maybe 99 times out of a hundred and they win purely based on that. They, they offensively, at least just, purely depend on that practically tell the team what we're doing we do it it doesn't work we beat them down over the course of the game eventually we wear them out and and things start working that's georgia football right now it's not pretty it's winning a lot of football games it kind of is what it is 
But I'm like you. I was hearing in the offseason, James Coley's mixing it up. It's a whole new offense. It's going to be exciting, all this, all these things, and it's practically the same. My personal opinion is that it's Kirby Smart's offense, and there's someone else calling the plays. Um, but even if you look at Jim Chaney, he's not running a lot of the same sets that we were running when, when he's coaching at Tennessee, and he's kind of been a chameleon everywhere he's gone. He's run spread offenses and, and more, not air raid, but more spread out offenses, and he's run power running offenses. It just depends on the head coach's philosophy. Along those same lines, bad and ugly are always kind of kind of overlapping. I think the the short yardage situations are especially frustrating because of the talent we have, the offensive line we have, not being able to get a yard at crucial parts of the game really hurts Georgia. Caleb, what, what was just ugly on offense to you? Yeah, uh, kind of in the same lines. Um, like going into the season, all the talk about the best offensive line in the country, and um, it just seems like we don't have that that dominant push that, you know, just like we're going to get the first down on third and one guaranteed kind of a feeling. Um, they're still up in the air. Um, so yeah, it was a little disappointing to see. And I know, you know, progressing through the season, there's always, you know, things that get better. And, um, so looking forward to the rest of the season, I think the offensive line is a big one that we really have to figure out establishing that dominance and that strong push, um, going forward. Yeah. To me, it's not an offensive line problem. I think the offensive line has played better than people have said. I think the pass protection has been absolutely lights out thus far in the season. I mean, we've given up one sack in five games. That mm. is unreal, especially with this time last year. It felt like Jake Fromm was, was taking sacks left and right. Um when you tell the other team practically what you're going to do by the way you line up, and what I mean by that is when we bring in the slot receiver in tight, we bring in an extra tight end, we got everyone crouched in there at the line, it essentially forces a stacked box. The The box has to be stacked just because the, the players that are responsible for covering those receivers that are in tight. And we run it right into the maximum number of people possible that can be in the box um, when we don't have to run a trick play or anything, but at least formation-wise can spread it out a little bit and, and give the running back and the line some room to move. An- another head-scratcher on those to me is we've got a, a hot hand at, at the running back. We've got two hot hands at the running back, and we go to the back that's that's having less success all game long. Um, I, I don't see why you don't go with a more powerful guy in Herring or White. Not that Swift can't get the job done, um, but but – I feel like that's why you have a Herring and a White on the team is, is for the short yardage situations. Defense, good. Caleb, what do you got? Well, I think there's a lot of good here. We saw a lot from our defense. Um, I really enjoyed watching these Ojolari um, really get in the backfield and, and messing up some plays. Yeah. Obviously, Eric Stokes killed it. Um, uh, just the run defense, like there's just – I don't feel like there's another team in the country that just stops the run as well as we do just from watching um, the past four or five weeks. Um, so that's really just good to see that we're consistent there on run defense. Yeah, that's incredibly important in the SEC um, and will bode well for us moving forward if we can continue to have success. One thing I want to mention is is the second team defense. 
so stuck around at the game and so with my dad we had a father-son day in in knoxville which isn't the best place in the world but we had a good time you know and uh we stayed for the end of the game and we were really just to keep things interesting pulling for georgia to cover at the end tennessee had the ball on first down um in a scoring position and our second team defense was able to hold them one player that stood out particular to me is Lewis Seen. I've heard that this kid is is the future at the safety position for Georgia. He's got a great story. He's the kind of guy I would love to have on the show in, in five years, but was really impressed by his blitz on Garantano on that fourth down and was really pleased to see the second team defense with so many players that, that will be contributing in the future. It was great to see them play at a high level against um you know, an offense that was in a position to score. Bad. Caleb, defensively, what what was frustrating for you? It's just aggravating to me. I feel like we've we've had this in past years of just uh, just kind of the big chunk offensive passing yards, passing plays, uh, particularly over the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just annoying. It seems more so just annoying than any other play to just give that dump that dump play and then have you know, 10 or 15 yard advance. It's just annoying to watch and um, just kind of poor tackling in the backfield. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that was bad. You could say. Yeah. The, the yards over the middle is really what we were giving up against Notre Dame. It's interesting to me that in, in both games, it felt like our opponent was able to just pick us apart over the middle. And yet we did not give up very many points. Um, when I watched Florida this week, their offense, I mean, Trask is a game manager. There's no getting around it. That's what he is. And a lot of what he throws are just little easy slants. But that's what Georgia's given up. And all year I've been seeing Florida's not that good. Florida's not that good. But if you look at the matchup, they've got a good defense. We know that. And, I mean, the way you beat Todd Grantham is, is with the deep passes and, and just torching his secondary. Well, that's not how we're playing on offense. Uh, we're kind of playing to their strengths as a defense and then on the flip side we're giving up little easy slants over the middle that kind of thing and and that's like the one thing they can do effectively so that game is looking more and more concerning by the week Um, I would like to see some improvement in our kind of middle of the field defense ahead of that game and we'll have another bye week before then thankfully and and plenty of time to, to see their film and I know our coaching staff will do a good job but I would have just a better feeling about that game if, if I saw us play a few games where we don't give up so much over the middle. Ugly. Man, there there was some ugly. David Marshall's stupid roughing the passer penalty that, that basically gave them a touchdown is what comes to mind for me. What comes to mind for you, Caleb? Yeah, it's really the two those two plays. Um, Richard LeCount's uh, coverage um, and that big 70-yard pass to Marquez Callaway. Oh, yeah. Um, that was, I mean, I mean, that's just something that you can't let happen, um, going down. Heck of a throw, by the way. It was, I was really shocked when that happened. I was like, yeah. wow, that was pretty easy. Um, so, but that, that was definitely ugly. And then, like you said, David Marshall's, um, penalty, um, those are just things we've talked about before that you're just, you're kind of, kind of glad that they're happening early in the season so that we can, focus on them getting better at them uh something you'd rather have 
at, in the Tennessee game than the you know playing Auburn or Alabama in, in the uh, SC championship. So I mean, it's good that we're seeing these these things that we need to work on um, coming up. But those are some some ugly things. Yeah, absolutely. And on special teams, we'll just run over this real quick because everyone knows Rodrigo Blankenship uh, was good. And he is now 11 for 11 on field goals this season, including two 50-yarders. And he's 25 for 25 on extra points. Uh, I do want to give a quick little shout-out to Dominic Blaylock for just being sure-handed back there, um, catching the punts. And, of course, the bad and the ugly all wrapped into one. Caleb, I feel like I feel like you know who this is. Yeah, it's just disappointing to see the, the, the punting in this, Jake Camarda. Uh, just hasn't really gotten going. Um, he's had some really bad punts that has, you know, kind of shot us in the foot. Um, um, gave the the opposing team, you know, great field position. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to be a championship team, we got to have all all cylinders going, and that this is a big one. You yeah. know, that you don't really think about, but this needs to be cleaned up for sure. It does, and punting something that that's cost us previously against Alabama I think last year um, special teams was certainly a factor that came into play and Jake Kamard is a guy who was the number one punter in the country in high school just two years ago a guy I was excited about I felt like okay we're getting a new punter and we're going to be set for the next four years because we got the number one guy in the country we got Rodrigo kicking our special teams are going to be great and it, it must be some kind of mental issue um, because Kirby's come out and said he can boot it. Um, he's outperformed the other punters in practice, and yet we keep seeing these shanks in games. And when Georgia actually plays a, a team that can really compete with them as far as the athletes they have on the field and the coaching staff that they have, it does concern me that, that the punting game is, is going to be um, – something that that could potentially cost us so still looking to see improvement there really hoping jake will be like rodrigo where he will go from zero to hero real quick everyone says he's capable of it um so we will see what happens there i'll start with our first little weekly award special teams player that didn't suck award goes to rodrigo blankenship again i think he might win it every every week um, but I hope I'm wrong. I hope we can give it out to multiple people. I'll give an honorable mention to Dominique Blaylock for catching the punts and making some good decisions back there and just, just being solid and uh, seems like a trustworthy guy back there. Um, Smash Mouth, all-star of the week, player that played some Kirby Smart Smash Mouth football, Caleb. Who's that player? Uh, I, re- I really love Brian Herrian. Um oh, as a guy that, gosh, it seems like when you get on the ball, he's going to guaranteed um, get that three, four yards if you need it. And he can definitely break it out. And we saw that this week. Right. Um, he was flying, breaking tackles and doing really well. So I love it when, uh, when he gets the ball. Yeah, Herrian is the least heralded player on Georgia's team from a recruiting perspective as far as scholarship players. Um, kind of a head-scratcher when we took him. If you looked at the running backs we had, felt like we could be getting another five-star. And Brian Herrian is the hardest son of a gun to tackle on that field. I cannot imagine running up at that dude. I mean, he wants contact, and he punishes the defenders, and he works his tail off, and 
He is a dang good dog that I love to watch from Saturday to Saturday. And I, I got to agree with you on this one, especially after that that long run where he just kept driving his legs and showed determination. Uh, he, he's he's got to be the smash mouth all-star of the week, over eight yards of carry, by the way, yeah. as I mentioned earlier. And the Savage Pads player of the week, we saw a couple players put on the Savage Pads. Caleb, is, is one of them your Savage Pads player of the week? Yes, um, I love Azizio Jalari and how he plays. He's got so much um, just drive. It just seems like he's getting back there, and even when he doesn't get the sack, he's getting back there and pressuring the quarterback. Yeah, he's really turning it. into, yeah, he's really turning into one of those players that you, you know, like a like a Jarvis Jarvis Jones kind of guy, or just you know, just somebody that's just guaranteed yeah. um, to get you some havoc plays. Yeah, I'll say my player comparison for Aziz is Justin Houston. He okay. reminds me of him so much. Yeah. And Justin Houston's led the NFL in sacks for you know several different times and so that um bodes well for Aziz, but we've we've talked about him almost every week on this show and there's a reason. He is one of the best players on this defense. He's one of the leaders on this defense as a redshirt freshman, apparently a very impressive young man as well. And I'm excited to see him continue to develop and continue to wreak havoc on opposing quarterbacks. I, I got to say, though, if if I got to give out a Savage Pads player of the week, mine's going to Eric Stokes. Yeah. Um, not only did he have the hit of – I can't remember the last hit that was that good of a hit. I mean, in the stadium, the entire crowd goes, ooh, all at once. And I didn't know who did it. People kept saying, "Was that Jermaine Johnson? Uh, was that Nolan Smith?" You know, it was such a big hit. Everyone thought it was, uh, or an Aziz even. And I could have sworn I saw the the number twenty seven, but I still was saying, "Ah, oh, maybe it was Nakobe Dean, like seventeen. Um, no way that was a cornerback." And sure enough, see the replay, and Eric Stokes <laughs> shoots out of the corner like lightning, and absolutely ended that poor quarterback. Outside of that one play, though. Three tackles, one sack, one forced fumble, which were both on that play. And he allowed one reception and eight targets. That is some DeAndre Baker kind of stuff right there. I love Stokes. I said it at the beginning of the year. I think he's the most valuable player on the defense as far as being the most irreplaceable player. And I hope very much that, that he remains healthy for the remainder of the season, I mean, you know, for his career. I mean, we wish that for everyone, but Stokes is just one I feel like we can't afford to lose. He's he's too important to us right now. Now it is time for our weekly pick six segment. Caleb, we're tied now. Um, you made a little comeback last week, and you got me. What, what tied you up with me was the extra point. Um, your predicted score was 42-13. to 13. The final score was 43-14. to 14. I will give a quick honorable mention to Marshall Morgan, who did not make a pick, but I made a pick on his behalf using multiples of three because I said he would pick it to be all field goals, and that predicted score was 45-9, to nine, which was pretty close to the actual score. So shout-out to Marshall. Um even though I made the pick for him. It, it was officially his pick because I forgot to ask him what his pick was. But this week, we got a great, great lineup. It's going to be one of those Saturdays where you're going to want to just stay home and 
have several channels at your disposal where you're able to flip between them and just watch some competitive football games between relevant teams. That's that's my kind of Saturday right there. And we've got number seven, Florida, at number five, LSU. As we mentioned before, Florida's coming off a dominant win over Auburn. And LSU is coming off a start to the season where they have looked every bit as good as Alabama, every bit as good as Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Georgia, you name it. LSU's in the conversation very much so right now. They're hosting a hot and confident Florida team in Death Valley. Caleb, what is your pick? I like LSU on this one just really because it's at home and Death Valley is just a scary place. Yeah. Um, I don't. I still don't know about Florida. For some reason, I just don't have the confidence that I guess that all the everybody else has. Uh, I like LSU still. Yeah, we talked about it in Corey's segment. Florida's they're winning. It's still really ugly. I mean, they're they're being handed the ball quite often, and you got to give their defense credit. They are wreaking havoc. Um, but just, just God, I can't get over those first couple. Miami, Kentucky. I know they had a different quarterback at the time and all the rest, but LSU to me has legitimately looked like. A team that can could win a national championship. Joe Burrow is playing lights out. I'm going with LSU as well. Next big game, also a game with college football implications. The Red River rivalry. Number six, Oklahoma versus 11, Texas. For those of you that, that don't keep up, um, Oklahoma won their closest game of the year in a 45-20 win on the road at Kansas last week. And Texas has not looked phenomenal in recent weeks. They've been winning, but they beat Oklahoma State and West Virginia by 6 points and 11 points, respectively. If Texas were playing the same caliber of football they played against us, or even the same caliber they they were playing when they nearly beat um, LSU earlier this season, I would pick them. But I've got to go with Lincoln Riley's squad. That offense is is something else, and... uh, I can't pick against them right now. I'm going with Oklahoma. Yeah, same. Oklahoma seems legit to me. Uh, I just feel like Jalen Hurts is on a mission. Mm-hmm. Just to, it's almost like feels like he's trying to prove to Saban that he <laughs> should still have him on Alabama. But yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it also does kind of feel like destiny that we're going to have that Oklahoma Alabama playoff game, maybe even that Georgia Ohio State playoff game. Yeah, uh, those teams are. I don't know. I just I could see it working out that way with with the storylines and and the caliber of teams they are. I mean, they're, they're those are all great teams. Number ten, Penn State at seventeen, Iowa. Quick little info on these teams: Penn State has quietly won all five of their games this season. They've had an easy road thus far, with their most impressive win being a fifty-nine to zero beatdown on Maryland two weeks ago. Um, I was coming off a 10-3 loss to Michigan. I'm going with Penn State just because I think Michigan's not good, and that means Iowa's probably not good either. Yeah, I'm going with the same thing after watching the uh, Michigan kind of win a boring, ugly game. I just don't yeah. know if I was that good because I don't think Michigan's that good. So right. Penn State, that's my logic behind it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mine too. Um, number 20, Virginia, the Who's at Miami, the U. Uh, Virginia fell to Notre Dame two weeks ago, but in respectable fashion, and they've otherwise swept a fairly easy schedule thus far. Miami's coming off a seven-point home loss to Virginia Tech, 
And this is the same Miami team that fell to a Felipe Franks-led Florida team in its first game of the season, as well as Mac Brown's UNC squad in Week 2. I'm going with Virginia just because of those two games. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to go with Miami. Whoa. Um, I don't have a lot of faith in Miami, but um, but I'd, I'm going to go for the gusto here and try to beat you at something. Yeah, well, that's how you lose, yeah. Caleb, so glad you did that. <laughs> Next game, Michigan State at number eight, Wisconsin. Mark D'Antonio's Michigan State squad fell to Arizona State early in the season and then got absolutely manhandled by Ohio State last week. Undefeated Wisconsin, on the other hand, has has won some games, but they've struggled to find consistency, and they nearly collapsed against Northwestern one week after beating Michigan. Jonathan Taylor's really, really good. He's keeping Wisconsin in the running back U discussion. I mean, they, they have Ron Dane. They had Melvin Gordon. Now they got Jonathan Taylor, recently named Big Ten Player of the Week again. I'm going with Wisconsin uh, simply because of him and uh, the fact that, that Michigan State is struggling of late. Yeah, I can't I can't not pick Wisconsin here. I think Jonathan Taylor's really fun player to watch, and I think he's you know up t- for contention in the Heisman. So we'll yeah, see. I still don't think Wisconsin's that good, but um, I think they win this one. USC at number nine, Notre Dame. USC's probably been the most inconsistent team in the country as they've handled quality opponents like Stanford and Utah, but then fallen to teams like BYU and most recently Washington, which these aren't bad teams, um, but USC's just their level of play fluctuates so much from week to week. Notre Dame's continued to look solid in recent weeks. They had a 15-point victory over UVA and then recently a 52-point blowout of Bowling Green in which Ian Book threw five TDs. I'm going with Notre Dame. I still, I don't, I feel like everyone thinks they're really good because they think we're really good, and Notre Dame gave us a hard time. I didn't think we played our best game against them, and I'm not totally sold on them yet, but I'm also more confident in them than USC for certain, and I do think Notre Dame's going to win the majority of, of their games moving forward. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same th- thought process. I think Notre Dame is... Uh, definitely not a top 10 team in my opinion, but they're better than USC. So I think they'll probably win this one. See, my thing this year is I say they're like, oh, they're not like a top 10 caliber team. Like I'll say that about Florida. But then if you ask me to actually name the amount of teams I think are top 10 caliber, I can't name 10. <laughs> so it's like yeah. maybe they are top 10 and it's just like yeah. the, the later end of that um, teams aren't that good. Um, extra point. South Carolina at number three, Georgia. Ryan Hilinski had a promising start to his USC junior career nearly a month ago when he and his squad gave Alabama a scare in Columbia. It was in the other Columbia, Columbia, Missouri, where he and his Gamecocks lost a second consecutive game before bouncing back at home against Kentucky. Will Muschamp has since had an extra week to prep his team for third-ranked Georgia who was getting used to playing a team coming off a bye week practically every week for the rest of the season. Caleb, let's do it again. Let's say our scores at the same time so that if, you know, we know one person isn't copying the others. Okay, I like it. All right. So it's going to be like a one, two, three, and then we say it, okay? Okay. One, two, three, 47, 48, 14. 14. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you said that after me. 
<laughs> I waited to hear what you said. No. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like, were you really, that was really your score? That was really my score. I did kind of say it slower than you, but I promise that was what I had in my head. Okay. Um, yeah, well, there you have it, folks. <laughs> this one will be fun. I hate that it's a noon game. It'd be f- more fun if it were at night. But uh, Kirby's recently challenged the the dog fans to show up early and be loud just like they were for Notre Dame. And I know Georgia fans, and I know they will, except for the upper student section, which will still be tailgating. Um into the first couple of minutes of the game before it fills up. But uh, the lower student section will be packed out, and I know the season ticket holder fans will be there ready ready to rock. But, Caleb, any thoughts moving forward into this one? Yeah. I mean, it, it is an easier opponent, but it is still an SEC opponent. And um, I mean, it's a team I mean, It's a team that was up 14-10 on Bama. So. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like, any team that we play, they're they're bringing their best shot. Yep. They're bringing their best game plan, and they want to derail our season. And um, I mean, South Carolina's got some good talent, and they're not, you know, that they're, they're a good team. You know, they're an SEC team. So I just think that everybody's bringing their best shot. So I mean, it, we could have a closer score. We could it might be that way, um, but I do think that we're just overall just way too talented to let it get to that so i agree i think it's going to be a good opportunity for for the dogs to develop for us to clean up um a lot of the ugly that we've had hopefully this time it'll just be the good the bad and nothing else because uh there's no ugly but i i think it's a good opportunity i mean there's some great athletes over there will muschamp's at least a, a really solid defensive coach so it presents an opportunity for us to overcome some adversity like we have hopefully not put ourselves in a situation where we have to get out of a hole we need to learn how to start games um, because I don't know I mean I'd rather be a second half team than a first half team but at the same time we're good enough where we can be a two half team especially against inferior opponents and this is no doubt an inferior opponent and uh, I'd like to see Georgia finally put their foot on the gas and not let off for for an entire game we will see what happens but it's time to wrap this show up as always uh we appreciate those of you who gave the show a listen and we've got a lot of love for those of you who share the show with the dog fans you know uh i kind of rhymed i didn't mean to to rhyme but you know it happens sometimes i rhymed again um (laughs) to those of you who will be in athens this weekend drive safe uh get there early per Coach Smart's request, and be loud. Take it in for us. Always always love a good weekend in Athens, so take just take the whole thing in. Uh, yeah, until next time, go dogs. Go dogs. Hopefully this week, Doug, we can do a little segment called The Good, The Gooder, and The Goodest instead of The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. I like that, Caleb. <laughs>